Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is our Education Events Coordinator, Katherine Kinsey. Welcome, Katherine. Thank you. None of us are coughing, and so we don't feel uh, bad about doing our uh, special coronavirus edition uh, of the yes. podcast. <laughs> uh, obviously, worry about it divided between people in the office and the state and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to talk about a story involving that uh, in a little bit. We're also going to talk about a pregnancy center in Detroit that is making an interesting move and some legislation that's been worked on in our state legislature. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about uh, Supreme Court yes. that just had a hearing. Uh, just before we get to that, we'll give you a brief update on the petition drive. Since everyone seems interested, our effort to end dismemberment abortion Catherine, the grand update is nothing. nothing. <laughs> no update. No update. <laughs> um, we uh, they're still counting. We hope they're getting close to being done. It is a concern now with the coronavirus. Are there temp workers that they hired going to be in the building counting petitions? We don't know how that's all going to shake out, and so we'll just have to take it day by day. We do want to encourage you to go to our website rtl.org and read a personal story uh, about a young woman named Faith Smith, and she has trisomy 18. Uh, you know, so right. she's incompatible with life, quote-unquote. According uh, to, yeah, all those in favor of dismemberment abortion. <laughs> right, and she's still with us, and this is just an example of, and the title of the story is, Can We Dismember the Disabled? You know, right. are they equal to us? And so uh, just give that a read. It's right on the front page. You scroll down to the latest news. You can get check that out in our blog. And um, Faith's dad works for us. Mm-hmm. And her, her mom has spoken for us at events. And um, just a reminder that uh, it's so sad that abortion is justified in a lot of cases based on disability. But Catherine, the disabled, have the same human rights everyone else does. Yes. At least they ought to. Right. Hopefully. Right. Okay, so the United States Supreme Court. Uh, the case was June Medical Sur- Services versus uh, G or G, <laughs> and it's now June Medical Services versus Russo because um, the person on the other end of that case uh, uh, was no longer a public official in Louisiana, so they changed the name. Mm-hmm. Don't be confused by that. And it's a Louisiana case, and the arguments were last week. And all Louisiana wants to do is require abortion facilities, like other outpatient surgical facilities in the state, to have admitting privileges at a local hospital. The idea being if a botched abortion happens, which they do, uh, the doctor would be able to admit the person in the hospital, and they would have some sort of information about the woman. Uh, because, Catherine, what usually happens and what we have a lot of evidence of is these women go in alone with no no way to reach the abortionist mm-hmm. or the abortionist sometimes will even just dump them at the ER and drive away. Yeah. Because the abortionist doesn't want to get in trouble um, because usually they're pretty irresponsible. And, you know, if you're trying to treat something, you don't have access to information uh, that can put a woman's life at risk. Yeah. 
Simple law, right? Should be. Should be. Uh, based on the arguments of the court, it seems like Chief Justice John Roberts is going to be that critical uh, fifth vote either way. You know, it's very interesting that uh, the Supreme Court, with a decision by Anthony Kennedy, struck down a similar law in Texas mm -hmm. uh, not too long ago. Uh, John Roberts voted against um, uh, voted against striking down Texas law. He wanted Texas law to go in effect a few months, uh, you know, a few years ago. Now there's this case right on the heels of it. Is John Roberts going to have the courage to follow through on what he thought earlier? Mm -hmm. Or is John Roberts going to feel bullied by this sort of, uh, you know, Marquess of Queensbury rules that, well, I guess it's a precedent and do we have to follow it? Yeah. Um, we're not really sure what's going to happen. But uh, as we mentioned in the podcast, Rights Life of Michigan filed a brief asking the Supreme Court to do the right thing and not just allow Louisiana's law to go into effect, but overturn Roe versus Wade. Yeah. Because abortion is on the Constitution, Catherine. Mm -hmm. It's never been voted on by the people to be put in there. The elected officials never put it in there. How can you have a constitutional right if no one put it into the Constitution? shouldn't be able to. <laughs> Does that make any sense? No. Doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and sadly, with the Supreme Court, when it comes to abortion, the considerations for our pro-abortion justices are always, what do we think we should happen because we love abortion? Um, right. And then for some of those more moderate swing justices like an Anthony Kennedy, perhaps a John Roberts, they allow themselves to get bullied by public opinion or elite mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, or concerns about, uh, you know, what might happen uh, publicly. Um, their job is not to do political considerations. It's to do the law. Right. So that's what we want. Do the law. Will they, Catherine? Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. The uh, decision in that is expected to be released in June. And so we have a bit of a waiting game. Um, it usually takes them several months. They've already voted on the case, and so they've technically already decided on the case, but mm -hmm. it takes a few months for them to put together the opinion uh, and circulate that around. And then, um, well, as sometimes happens, justices will change their mind based mm -hmm. on the opinions that circulate around. So hope for the best. Okay, so Catherine, the coronavirus. I don't think it's been talked about a lot lately. <laughs> Yeah, it really needs more attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I wish that it had absolutely nothing to do with the abortion issue. Mm -hmm. I wish that we didn't have to talk about it at all. But Catherine, abortion supporters are always going to ruin it for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so uh, first, we want to talk about sort of one abortionist reaction to it and then our Speaker of the House's reaction to it. So Dr. Daniel Grossman is a abortionist. He's pretty well known. He's active in the media. He releases studies. Uh, if there's such a thing as a celebrity abortionist, a mm. Grossman would become would be the closest thing that we have to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, when the coronavirus was going around, uh, of course, it's impossible for abortion supporters to do anything but talk about abortion or link it back to it. Mm -hmm. And so he said... Uh, you know, this coronavirus uh, means that telemedicine and telehealth, you know, where you can see a doctor over a screen rather than in person, mm -hmm. it's going to be an important advance. 
And oh, by the way, it's important to have telemedicine abortions. Right. Always goes back to that. Catherine, is killing an unborn child going to help mitigate a pandemic? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, is there any more analysis that we really need to do on that? I would think not. <laughs> no. I mean, these people just, are yeah. these people are obsessed. Mm-hmm. And it's so unfortunate. And how does that obsession affect you? Well, uh, so right now, Congress is debating uh, some sort of aid package to deal with the coronavirus. And uh, according to White House officials... Uh, for once, these, this is one of those leaks that's not about how terrible President Trump is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Usually that's how these anonymous leaks go. Um, but it seems that during negotiations over the bill, Nancy Pelosi wanted a billion dollars uh, for something specific actually related to the coronavirus, but she wanted it set up in a way that it is outside of our regular appropriations laws, meaning that the Hyde Amendment, which restricts taxpayer-funded abortions, the Hyde Amendment would not apply to this billion dollars. Hmm. Problematic. Extremely problematic, Catherine. And, and, and why? Um, is this funding going to decrease? You know, is this funding going to be given to organizations like Planned Parenthood under the guise of mm. providing health care to victims of coronavirus. Right. Um, the sad thing is when it comes to Planned Parenthood and funding abortion, A, they believe that every abortion, Nancy Pelosi believes every abortion should be taxpayer funded. Mm-hmm. So you, the listener, if you are pro-life and you believe abortion is wrong, or maybe you're one of these people that's personally say there has their personally pro-life but maybe abortion should be legal but maybe we shouldn't be paying for it she wants you to pay for abortions mm-hmm. she wants you to be uh in a sense morally responsible for that that's what they want that's what they always want that's what they always push for and you know why why are they going to let a pandemic a global pandemic stop them from that Catherine? Right. um Someone actually reminded us on Twitter, and uh, you are probably not aware of this, and I was not aware of this, because back in, uh, back in 9-11, back mm-hmm. in 2001, I was a senior in high school. Uh, a lot of people are comparing this coronavirus story, news impact, to 9-11. Um, apparently, Planned Parenthood was offering free abortions to people affected by the... Oh, yeah. Wow. Of course. Does that surprise you? A little bit, but it shouldn't. No, I, guess. I mean it, that makes perfect sense. You know, it's always yeah. about abortion to them, and it's so sad that our response to a tragedy uh, that involves massive loss of life—that the first thing these people think about is how could we take more lives, or how mm-hmm. can we use it to our advantage to, um, right. you know, take lives. So we'll see what happens with this aid package in Congress. Uh, but it seemed like Republicans got really mad uh, that yeah. Nancy Pelosi was trying to use this to, um, I don't know, set up some sort of, a cynical person would say she's setting it up as some sort of weird thing where we have to junk the Hyde Amendment or we're going to refuse to give money to yeah. the coronavirus or we're going to say Republicans are holding up coronavirus funding because uh, they want to restrict women's right and That's sad just said i know you know you would hope that this is one of those things 
you know, with a sort of a national crisis that um, some people could look past things, but mm -hmm. these people, Catherine. Yeah. These people. <laughs> It never ends. No. Uh, abortion corrupts everything it touches. Our money, our politics, our judicial system. <sighs> and Twitter. <laughs> Thanks to Daniel, Dr. Daniel Grossman, celebrity abortionist, if you will. So we'll follow it and see what happens. I think, I think most people would recognize that... Um, that's not good. However, if this does become a fight in the media, take it to the bank. It's going to be presented as Republicans want to yeah. further restrict abortions, and it's going to try to replay, uh, going to try to portray, um, you know, pro-life elected officials as the aggressors in the situation. And Nancy yep. Pelosi just standing up for those poor, downtrodden billion-dollar organizations like Planned Parenthood. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well. Speaking of abortion facilities, uh, there's a happy and upbeat story we want to yeah. talk about, Catherine. Uh, and uh, since you were the one that was contact, it was in contact with Pregnancy Aid in Detroit. Why don't you talk about it? Yeah. So um, in the Detroit area, there's the abortion clinic in East Point, and the some uh, people from the Pregnancy Aid center were you know praying outside of that clinic several years ago and they just kind of got the idea well wouldn't it be great to have another center right next to this clinic so you know th that option the pro-life option is right there for these women um so they just decided you know let's go go in and see what the situation is next door and they found out that the dentist there was actually considering retirement and think and you know open to the possibility of renting or selling to them whenever he did so then years a couple of years later to today <laughs> he is retiring and selling them the building so a couple of uh, little side issues that are interesting to talk about this i think the first one is uh you know, in the last budget in the state of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer cut the real alternatives budget, which right. was money that some pregnancy centers were counting on. And Catherine, I guess pregnancy aid, yeah. a third of their budget mm -hmm. is was that real alternatives money. Mm -hmm. And so um, Gretchen Whitmer took it to pregnancy aid, but despite this, pregnancy aid is still buying this mm -hmm. dental clinic, uh, even though they lost a third of their budget. Right. Leap of faith. <laughs> Leap of faith. Um, I'm sure it'll work out. Um, you know, the people running these pregnancy centers, especially something like Pregnancy Aid that's been around for how long? Do you remember when they said how long it's been around? Uh, no, I don't. I think since the 70s. Yeah. Maybe it's probably one of the first pregnancy centers in the entire state of Michigan. Wow. And so um, they've been around all this time and they're acting in faith. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the building itself that they're buying is not the most physically attractive building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, it's, it's just this kind of nondescript beige brick building. Uh, looks like it was built maybe in the 50s. Mm -hmm. It has in like 50s lettering just dental clinic on yeah. it. <laughs> it didn't, I mean, 
It looks like it's going to need uh, some TLC yes. before a woman's going to want to go in there. It is interesting. Um, I don't know what the East Point abortion facility looks like across the street from it. Um, it's kind of, it's next door to it, but it's, a, it's across the side street. Yeah. And yeah. so women would have to cross the side street, but it's on the main, same main drag there. Um, a lot of the abortion facilities in Detroit and everywhere, you know, Planned Parenthood tends to buy and update newer buildings, but a lot of the little smaller abortion facilities owned by the abortionists and whatnot, they look grody. Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah. And why would a woman go in a building where it looks like you're going to get, you know, tetanus just from looking at the sign? Mm -hmm. And women go in there and abortionists who make money hand over fist are happy to leave their buildings looking like slovenly messes. Yeah. Um, That is pretty disgusting. Uh, Another angle to really talk about uh, with this is... um, you know, kind of the importance of being right there. Um, you know, we've heard uh, one of our volunteers on the east side of the state in Detroit has really talked about, you know, um, the problems with uh, open office hours from certain pregnancy centers and ultrasounds and distances. Mm-hmm. You know, Catherine, it, to, to get a woman to leave an abortion facility or not go in is very difficult. Uh, and then to actually get her to go to a life-affirming center is also very difficult. And right. when there's no open center and it's not nearby, you know, is this woman, you know, is they going to follow you in the car to the pregnancy center? Are you going to give them a ride? Mm-hmm. You know, are they going to accept it? It's very difficult for volunteers to do that. Right. And the actual pregnancy aid building is not very far from the East Point abortion facility, but it's several blocks. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot different to be able to have, uh, and I'm sure Pregnancy Aid is going to fix up the building, have a much more welcoming, clean building mm-hmm. that they can say, don't go in here, go right, right across the street, we'll give you the pregnancy test and ultrasound, we're going to treat you like a human being and not a wallet, mm-hmm. you know, we're mm-hmm. going to treat your child as a human being, we're going to provide, uh, be able to provide you with some items Mm-hmm. Uh, some counseling, some advice. Um, just come right across the street. Yeah. Come into our nice, happy, inviting, welcoming yeah. building. And that's a big deal. Um, you know, you've seen sometimes that when pregnancy centers are able to open a building right across the way that uh, these abortion facilities will close. Right, right. The uh, facility that, um, you know, is became popular because of the unplanned movie that Abby Johnson worked at mm-hmm. where the first ever 40 days for life campaign took, you know, place, yeah. you know, the proximity to pro-lifers there was what eventually helped lead to closing that facility, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually in, um, college station or Bryan, Texas, excuse me, mm-hmm. is now a pro-life medical facility down there. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you see that too. They close the building and then they buy the abortion facility and yeah. turn it from a place of mass death to a place of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, anything else you wanted to really talk about with that? I think that covers it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're hoping to open, you know, doing some of those updates and opening later in April, late April or early May. So. Yep. And I know coronavirus is impacting some of these facilities right, right. because... You know, women need to go in. They need diapers. They need formula. And I'm sure there's being runs on diapers in the stores and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and baby wipes are being monopolized because of the toilet paper craze. So I know our, you know, there's more than 150 locations across the state for pro-life pregnancy centers, and they're all working through these problems and figuring out what to do. But um, I think you'll see a lot of them will stay open and still be available. And uh, our, we'll, us pro-lifers are a resourceful bunch, and we'll find ways to mm-hmm. figure it out. Uh, abortion doesn't sleep, and neither do we. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, last thing we wanted to talk about was, uh, and this kind of got lost in last week, last two weeks have been busy from a news perspective, even from a pro-life perspective, mm-hmm. not all the other <laughs> stuff going around, um, literally and figuratively. Uh, but our Michigan legislature was busy with two pieces of legislation. The first one uh, has to do with our stillborn child tax equity and this is really important, Catherine, because we're in tax season. Have you done mm-hmm. your taxes yet? Almost done, yeah. I have not gotten it to yet. I have one of those forms that doesn't come until way late. And uh. so um, there is a provision in the state. Uh, Michigan used to have a stillborn child tax credit. So if you had a child uh, who uh, passed away after 20 weeks, then... Um, the theory is you're still pro- going to have medical expenses, probably mm-hmm. um, at least comparable to a birth, if not more, and you're going to have funeral expenses. And so um, we used to have in the state a tax credit on the state level uh, for parents of these children uh, who have a stillborn child, a one-time tax credit. Mm-hmm. Well, our dear Governor Rick Snyder... <laughs> Axed that tax credit. Now, in fairness, we axed almost every tax credit in the right. state uh, when we changed, you know, our we used to have a single business tax and we went through and, and changed all that and a lot of tax credits got axed. So it wasn't like he had it out for the parents of stillborn children. But Rick Snyder was not the most pro-life instinctive guy mm-hmm. and so he doesn't really think about uh, those issues. And he got rid of the stillborn child tax credit. So, uh, as Snyder was leaving, we thought to ourselves, um, maybe we can revive it. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily as a tax credit, but instead, and this is actually how we originally wanted it to work. Uh, We originally wanted it to be that a parent could claim the stillborn child as a dependent. So, Mm -hmm. if you have a child who dies one day after birth, is for your tax purposes, that child is dependent for the year. Mm-hmm. That's how they're treated. Why should a child who dies the day before birth be treated differently when the expenses are the same and uh, right. from a medical perspective, um, perhaps even more? Mm-hmm. And you're going to have extra funeral expenses that take the place of things like diapers and formula, etc. So that's how we originally wanted to do it, and by way of a legislative compromise, we had to settle for the tax credit. Mm-hmm. But uh, this gave us an opportunity, uh, and this is in effect for this year, to revive it so that if you have a stillborn child, uh, that you can get a, you can claim them as a dependent on your state taxes, not your federal taxes, mm-hmm. but your state taxes. In order to get that dependent, you know, in order to be, for that child to be declared a dependent, you have to have a certificate of stillbirth, mm-hmm. uh, which is another law that we passed um, in order for people to have that. There is a cost, Catherine, to getting a certificate of stillbirth. Um, 
just as there would be for any government document. Mm -hmm. But some legislators thought, you know, if our goal is to lessen the financial impact of the stillbirth, why are we even charging them for a certificate? So they uh, passed a bill in the state house, now it goes to the state senate, to mm -hmm. waive this certificate fee, yeah. um, which we supported, obviously. Uh, it was interesting that the vote in the House was 100 to 6. Yeah, that is interesting. Who are these six legislators who don't think it's a good idea right. to do it and why? Um, we didn't hear about that. Right. Uh, and I guess we probably won't. No entrepreneurial reporter is going to ask them, you know, what was your reason for objecting? But uh, 100 to 6 was the vote. It's going to go to the Senate. I think you can guarantee that it'll pass by a broad bipartisan majority, that even some of our legislators who support abortion mm -hmm. uh, see the wisdom of it. And so you can expect that that will be probably maybe signed into law by Governor Whitmer. And if not, yeah. obviously there's the votes for a veto override. So you can never tell what Governor Whitmer is going to do. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, expect to see that at some point being done this term. The other piece of legislation was uh, Senator Lana Tice introduced legislation to update our Born Alive Inf Infant Protection Act. Um, this is important because uh, in many states, uh, we have evidence that children are being born alive. We can tell because there's signs of life mm -hmm. on these uh, state uh, data tracking, but we never hear of what happens. And we know right. we've had undercover video of abortionists saying if a child's born alive, we just let them die. Mm -hmm. um, back when this was first revealed to be happening, the federal government passed a BIPA, Born Alive Infant Protection Act, mm -hmm. uh, that was very simple, that just said, you know, a child born alive after a botched abortion is a child, is, should be treated legally the same as any other child. Not very specific. Mm -hmm. In Michigan, we have a much more specific law that mandates that they have to receive medical care and uh, puts our Safe Delivery Act in place so that it presumes that the mom, you know, was having an abortion, doesn't want the child, and so mm -hmm. the child should be protected. Um, of course, with pro-life laws, there's always ways you can improve them. And so uh, this legislation in the Michigan Senate has been introduced and how it would improve Michigan's uh, Born Alive Inf Infant Protection Act, which is better than the federal one, um, does two big things. Number one, Michigan law says they have to be provided medical care, but it's not really clear what that is. Right. Uh, this bill would make it so that the presumption is that the child has to receive the same level of care as any other child would in that same health condition. Mm -hmm. And so an abortionist under law wouldn't be able to say, oh, well, this child is, you know, doesn't have a high chance of survival. We're just going to provide quote-unquote, comfort care and let the child die. Mm -hmm. um, if you wouldn't treat a preemie born alive in that situation, then you shouldn't treat a child who survives an abortion like that. So that's one big change. The other big change is uh, anyone who has knowledge of a doctor leaving these uh, children to die after, abortionists, or, or after an abortion is a mandatory reporter. Mm -hmm. And it's a misdemeanor crime for you to basically witness a child being neglected to death and not report it. Right. So all those nurses, uh, all those non-medical staff that are in there in the procedure rooms for abortions helping out, if they witness something and they know about it and they don't say anything, mm -hmm. they can be prosecuted. So that's another important change in this bill. And um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, it should be something that most people can agree on. 
Will they? Right. If the federal level is any indication, then no. Our pro-abortion legislators are going to oppose doing anything about it. Right. Because abortion matters more than even global pandemic. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again in two weeks. Have a wonderful, relaxing weekend. Thank you.